All right. Um, turn your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. And you know, I want to tell you a story. I usually start off with a story um, or an example or something like that for a couple of reasons. One is to catch you off guard. Uh, because some of you come in and you're like, I know what's going to happen. I know what we're talking about. I know Jesus, blah, blah, blah. Well, you don't. Neither do I. We need to get to know him a little bit better. So stories and, and things like that will sometimes kind of catch us off guard. <clears throat> you ever heard, uh, I'll speak to the younger people, like my age and younger. You ever heard a really good song only to find out it was an old song redone? Like you hear this song, you're like, wow, this is a really good song. Uh, it's so well-crafted, well-written, and then you, you, you maybe you research it online or you look up the artist and you find out, oh, they didn't even write it. It was written by so-and-so in the 40s or the 50s or the 60s or the 70s. It's an old song. Or maybe, um, maybe you've seen the slew of movies that have come out in the last few years that are really just remakes of old movies. You know, Disney is on this uh, kick of remaking every classic animated movie into a live-action movie. And so you have the same story with a twist, but it's basically the same. Um, it's always weird when you think something's yours only to find out that this has been around for a really long time. Um, I share that with you because John is going to share with us what he calls an old commandment in a new way. As Christians and as followers of Jesus Christ, there's this grave warning about consistency in theology. Meaning that whatever comes up that is new, and, and, I, and I tell you, every day, every week, there are books written, podcasts, and, and, and teachings all over the place that claim to be new revelation, uh, new understandings, or old ancient wisdom that's kind of been unearthed by a select few people who can translate it or, or decipher it. And unless you're spiritual enough, you either A, can't decipher the old, or you can't understand or accept the new. And the writers of the New Testament, especially men like Paul and James, John, and Jesus himself, continuously said things like, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Paul would say things like, if you hear of someone saying, an angel came to me and told me some new idea about Jesus and salvation and the Father and the Holy Spirit and, and the Word. New revelation. Can't back it up with the Word. It's contrary to what we've been taught in the past, but it's brand new. We're warned time and time again to watch out for that. To not be so easily swayed by every new wave or, or new thing that comes along thinking that simply because somebody came in the name of the Lord, and I'll use that in quotations, that it can be trusted and, and swallowed completely. We, uh, I was reading the book of Jeremiah and elsewhere in, in the Bible, the writers talk about eating God's word, using that metaphor of consuming it and how it, was, how it was sweet to them. It was good to them. It fortified them. It was in the way a good meal was consumed and it helped their body, the, cons the consumption of God's word, pure and holy, was good for their spirit and soul. The Bible even speaks about how the health of our spirit and soul will, will affect the, the, the health of our body. That's of some, some benefit to keep our bodies healthy. John will have to address this because he's addressing uh, and he's, uh, he's going after the teaching of Gnosticism. But Gnosticism really, 
for us as we read this book, Gnosticism is not a threat in our face. I mean, nobody woke up this morning with a Gnostic knocking on the door, trying to take them to another church. They didn't show up in a special garb that says, you know, Gnostic with like a sash and saying, hey, hey, come to this church. We have this new teaching. What we find generally is that it's subtle and that it's, it's, it's directed. It's, it's a pinpoint direction of, 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 of attack towards the foundational doctrines that we have held for thousands of years as Christians. So when we hear that the culture is changing and the word has to change with it, we as Christians, we have to go back to the word and say, okay, where does the word say go and stay? Where does it say yes and no? Where does it say forbidden and liberty? John has to address all this because the Gnostics, they're the ones that he's addressing. They're saying that, well, flesh is basically bad, which the Bible teaches, but since it's bad, you can do whatever you'd like in the flesh because it's gonna be destroyed anyways. And so then people would hear that and say, oh, so I can drink until I'm bloody drunk? Sure. Oh, I can have sex with anything that I want? Yeah, it doesn't matter because your body will be destroyed later anyways. It's your spirit that matters. And then they would say things like, well, Jesus didn't really come in the flesh because uh, he was only spirit and that's why he could withstand the cross. And people would say, well, why? How do you know this? And they would say, well, it's secret knowledge. It's a mystery. Only a select few know it. If you'd like to subscribe to our n- newsletter and make a donation, we'll send you some literature and, uh, and maybe you could be enlightened. Maybe you could understand uh, what we're talking about. I could see there's some confusion, but I see that there's, there's a light there and I think that you're on the way. I remember as a kid watching cartoons during the day when I was sick, like at home, uh, watch some cartoons and I Love Lucy, then Andy Griffith and maybe Catch Price is Right. They would always have these commercials for this book called Dianetics. I don't mind pronouncing it right. Dietetics, something like that. Dianetics, Dianetics by L. Ron Hubbard. I'm like, what is this book? There's like a big explosion on the front. I can remember it vividly. Only to find out later that Gnosticism looks a lot like Scientology. Scientology, the, the religion made up by L. Ron Hubbard, uh, it was all the same. You climb this ladder, secret knowledge, you find the way to the center of where all the knowledge is. And, and, and if, it's funny that the people who get there are always one who give the most and serve the most and are the loudest proponents and are always the ones that are given the most favor. See, mankind's heart is the same as it was 2,000 years ago, whether it's Gnosticism or Scientology or some other pagan form of God worship or deity worship, man's heart's the same. So John's got to attack that. John's got to address that and warn the people. First John chapter 2, verse 7 says, Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. We echo what John has said that this is an old commandment that we've had from the beginning, that today we will probably not learn anything brand new, Lord, 
that we will not learn any, some, some secret knowledge you've only imparted to me or select few in the church, but you will show us again the same wisdom anew. You will newly present us with the same commands that you have given since the beginning. So I pray, Lord, that we would hear it, abide by it, observe it and take heed of it, Lord. May you be glorified in Jesus' name, amen. Constantly throughout the book of 1 John, John keeps saying, I'm writing to you. I'm writing to you because of this. I'm writing to you because of that. There's this reactionary uh, mentality that John has. He understands the culture of the church and understands what the problem is and now has to go after it. Church, we as a church, small C church, and as a big C church globally face really big problems that have been around for way too long. It's now, before I go any further, it's really easy to kick the church. It really is. It's really easy to say, you know what I think is wrong with the church? X, Y, and Z. And that's why I don't go to church and that's why I don't do this and that's why I don't do that. That's not where I'm going with this. However, that doesn't mean that we as a church are flawless and that we all do everything perfectly. We'd be foolish to say that. Somewhere in the middle, we must find Jesus and admit the problems that we have and start with ourselves and our own church. I would love if there was a whole revival across this nation that churches would get up and, and, and love going to church and praying and worshiping and reading the word, but I'm not going to wait for the rest of the church to do that. I'm not even gonna wait for you guys to do that. I've gotta start with me and my family first. I hope that we together will all go the same direction, same speed, with the same tenacity, but I accept that we're different people at different places with different questions, and that's okay. But I don't expect you to go first. Does that make sense? I don't expect everybody else to get fixed before I decide to do something. No, I need to read the word and be revived. I need to be awakened. I need to be uh, set on fire by the Holy Spirit of God. That's what I'm seeking for me and for you, but I'm starting with myself because that's the person that God gave me to start with, right? And then my family, my wife, my children, etc. John says, I write these things to you. He says things like beloved. He uses all these terms of endearment. This is, this is as much a rebuke, but, but he, he keeps he keeps reminding the people. It's not just like, I hate you because you did these bad things. It's like, look, beloved, little children, you're doing and committing some grave error here and you've got to be careful. See, as I am, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you heard from the beginning. This commandment is the same command that's given in the book of Leviticus. And many of you avoid the book of Leviticus because it's a hard book to read, right? I mean, some of you are like, I've never read that book. Well, okay, let me give you a preview. It's a lot of law and stuff that doesn't pertain to us necessarily. It reveals to us Jesus, and that's a good reason to read that. But there's a lot of precepts about different uh, sacrifices to be given, and those things we don't do anymore. Praise God, we're not sacrificing a lamb this morning. Although if somebody turned it into chili, that'd be really great. But throughout the book of Leviticus, there are still commands of God that exist today that we follow today. This Leviticus chapter 18 verse 19 tells us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. This is the same command that John's going to give, that Paul reiterates, that James reiterates, that Peter reiterates, that Jesus reiterates time and time again. 
John will say, if you, if you say you love the Lord, but you hate your brother, you are in the darkness. You're not just wrong. You're not just bad at being a Christian. You're in the dark. And he goes on to say, you're blinded by the dark, which is a really weird thing because we think about being blinded by light. Think about Paul on the road to Damascus being blinded by the light of Jesus. John says that this darkness is so dark, it will blind you. You cannot see the hatred that you might harbor for another individual will blind you in other aspects of your life. Here it is, Point Blake Church, we hate too much. We as a people, we hate too much. We hate people too much. Well, love the sinner and hate the sin. Good, do that. But listen, we are busy hating people. If you do not believe me, just go spend a couple hours on Facebook and find out how quickly, not other people hate people, how quickly you hate people. Watch them post something that disagrees with you and feel that hatred just bubble and boil up. And maybe it's politics or maybe it's ideologies or maybe it's theology or maybe it's, it's atheism or maybe it's homosexuality and maybe it's all of these things that in and of themselves are bad and we're calling those wrong and sinful. Don't misinterpret that part. But John says, if we hate our brother, we are in the dark and we have to reconcile something here. Are we in the dark or are we in the light? And the answer is, who do we hate right now? That will answer the question. See, we could deal and we can fight against Gnosticism all day long. And we can fight against the prosperity gospel. And we can fight against ultra faith gospel. And we can fight against this gospel and that gospel and this flavor and that flavor. And we can call out denominations and we can call out churches and, and ministers. And all, we can do that all day long. But if we have hatred towards another being, another human, we are in the darkness. Today is a day to repent. I have hatred. Oh sure, the people that are lovable, I don't tend to hate them that much. You know why? Because they're lovable. They do nice things for me. They make me muffins and they do great things for my family and they, and they treat my children nice. And I go, you know what? I like those people. But the other day I was hanging up a poster for the church and this woman gave me this snarky remark and I was like, I don't like her. I, I, I really do not like that she just said that to me and put me on the spot like that and, and came back to ridicule me, then left. Like, because I didn't hear her the first time. So she came back, made sure I heard her and then left. I was like, I don't like her. And I really don't like 90% of what I see on Facebook. It is the worst. I see some of the most misquoted scriptures and follow your heart. And oh gosh, like it's, if, that tick, if that warms your heart, fine. But for me, it's like, I'm gonna just vomit again. Why am I even on Facebook? Like, why am I even here? I'm gonna go play a game or something. I, I, I'm telling you here, I'm being as open and as honest as I can. There is hatred there that must be purged. Because the Bible tells us that if it's there, we have a problem. And here's the thing, we can't blame anybody. It's us. Well, I hate because of this person. No, they may have started it. They may have planted a seed in you, but you have hatred because you have this choice to make. And it's so easy to hate something, isn't it? 
It's so easy to, to be against something and to vocalize it and to, to use that as sort of an identity for yourself. You ever met people, you know them, you describe them by what they hate? It's because it's become their identity. We have a political system right now where, where it's really hard to define what each party believes in, but it's really easy to define what they hate because that's become the message. That's become, that, that's the quick sell. You get more people, go today, go somewhere, any crowd, just start talking to strangers, try to find people who like what you like, and then go to another place, try to find people who hate what you hate. I guarantee you the second group will flock faster and be more exuberant than the first group. Because everybody can hate something equally and get together really fast. We may not be friends, but we both hate Nickelback. Okay, let's get together. We're best friends now. Nickelback's a rock band that's really terrible. Look it up later. Avoid listening to their music at all costs. I believe that's from the Lord. Um, <laughs> but my point is this, hatred is so easy, but it is so deadly. It, it's, a, it's a poison that's sweet on your lips, but as you consume it, it destroys you from the inside. It's where bitterness comes from. You don't, you don't develop bitterness towards a person or something by being really happy and joyous. It starts with hatred and it develops into bitterness. Church, there are good fights to fight. As I said before, I think that there are ministers out there that are purposefully using people like you to become rich and to hold power over people. I, 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 I truly believe that. They write books for the sake of selling books. They don't write books to get you closer to God. That's really irrelevant. There are people out there, and that's within the church. There are people outside the church that are doing the same thing. There are people out there who are abusing children. Maybe you heard about this recently. Locally, a couple was, was prostituting their child. Maybe you've read about the sex trade and how it rivals uh, drug trafficking as the worst or the, the highest grossing uh, money maker on, on the black market globally. There are children disappearing from our communities because they're being sold to people to be used for sex. There are countries where dictators are killing the people and we're refusing to help them in any way, shape, or form. Not realizing the own depravity of our own heart and how desperately we need Jesus to save us and rescue us from the dictator of sin, Satan, and death. There are people who are shouting, trumpeting, sin is being good and Christ is being bad. I mean, there are good fights to go out there and to pledge your allegiance to and say, I will fight this fight with everything that I have. But I'm here to tell you that if our fight involves hating another person, we've already lost the battle. If our, if our only method of winning is by hating other people, Satan wins. But here's how he can't win. When we continue to love but Pastor Tony, I don't agree with their lifestyle. I know, me neither. I don't either. But I have found that hatred has never changed anybody willingly. Oh, sure, you can draw a gun on somebody and make them say anything you'd like. They'll agree with everything you say at the end of a gun, right? But has their heart truly changed? No, it's self-preservation at that point. 
what we want to do is we want to go out into community and show them a love that they can't find anywhere else. A love that, that has no borders. A, lo- a love that is what the Bible calls agape. It's like a love feast, a love buffet. You guys like buffets? Buffets are great. Buffets might be one of the greatest things on the face of this planet. Generally, I mean, a good buffet. Even a bad buffet is okay, but let me give you a good buffet. Sometimes you go and you got the salad, which is just time consumption. Don't even bother. But then you've got like chicken wings and pasta. And it's like, excuse me, sir, you want more carbs with your carbs? Sure, I'd love more carbs with my carbs. Okay, there's soup and there's, I mean, and they generally let you come back and get as much as you'd like. Buffets are a good thing. It's the same analogy that the Bible uses about the type of love we're supposed to have for other people. Not just Christians, not just the people we like, but even for our enemies. This love that we pour out like a pitcher of water over somebody's head, never worrying about, will I have enough water in the pitcher? Will I have enough to, 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 for other people? Just saying, you know what? I'm just gonna pour it out. Woo, just loving this person as much as I can. What happens when we do that though? We become vulnerable. We don't like that word because all of us here have done that in some way, shape, or form. Maybe not completely, but we've gone out on a limb a little bit and someone's come and sucker punched us, right? Someone's come and stabbed us in the back. Some other metaphor. They've come and they've taken advantage of that love and then we said either subliminally or subconsciously or we've said it right, I'll never do that again. But here's what happens when we do that. We contradict the word of God And as John said previously, we're no longer being like Jesus because that's what Jesus did. See, the cross is the epitome of agape love. He shed his blood, not just for us who have given our life to Christ, but for those as well who have not given their life to Christ, who will go to hell in their sins by their own volition. But yet Jesus died for their sins. They chose not to exercise their faith in him, but yet God still poured out his love. We Christians take advantage of Jesus' love all the time. How do we do that? When we sin. When we sin, we take advantage of the cross. Jesus, or John said just previously in in, in the beginning of this chapter, I write these things to you so you don't sin, but if you sin, you have an advocate before the Father. We sin, it's the worst. We have Jesus who is interceding for us continuously as we make mistakes. But, but Nate, make no mistake about this. When we sin, we take advantage of the cross. Praise God, we have the cross. But I want us to see our sin, especially the sin of hatred towards another human being as a grave sin that needs to be reconciled by God. Now the apostles were consistent in preaching consistency. That sounds funny, right? They would continuously say, listen to what we've taught you from the beginning. Here's how Paul puts it in in Galatians chapter one, verse six. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him, Jesus, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, we don't walk around saying, hey, you cut me off, let you be accursed. We don't talk like that. Understand that what Paul is levying here is a pretty big accusation and a big um, judgment. If they're coming to you and saying, hey, this Jesus guy is great, but you know there's other ways to heaven. Bible says he's the only way. You know, I, I like your gospel, but let's water it down a little bit. Let's take some stuff out of it. Let's make it a little more palatable so more people will, will, will grasp onto it. Well, that's just watering it down. That's taking away from the gospel. Well, that gospel's a pretty good start. Let's start adding some more rules. The Pharisees did that. God gave the, the, the Jewish people foods not to eat, uh, certain meats that they couldn't consume. So the Pharisees said, you know what? Let's just be really careful. Let's not consume any meat. And if you consume meat, you're sinning. And so there are folks trying to be vegetarians and, 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 and trying to follow that Pharisee law, which yes, they would accomplish God's law, but that bondage was making the steak look so much better. And so they would look upon meats they could eat and, and sin in their heart, not realizing that's not what they were doing. Someone just added to the gospel message and made their life harder in hopes of them complying. It'd be like me saying, Jesus said to love your neighbor and to every day go and make them dinner because then they'd see that you love them. And then you getting all caught up, I gotta make dinner. And then, you know, two weeks in, you're like, I can't make dinner today. Oh, God's not gonna love me anymore. And myself, maybe I'm not even saved. When God never told you to make them dinner in the first place. God told you to love your neighbor. That could include making them dinner. Could mean shoveling their sidewalk when it snows. Could mean just checking in on them, seeing how they're doing, saying hi, giving them a friendly smile, helping them out when they're in need, being a friend. Could be lots of things. Paul says, even if an angel comes to you. Now, now most of us, if an angel visited us, we'd be like, oh my gosh, it's an angel. And we'd, and we'd probably believe almost everything they said. But Paul says, if the angel comes and says something contrary to what we've taught you, do not believe him. We have religions today that claim that an angel came, told them the secret knowledge that only they could decipher. And now there's whole religions based upon that. And Paul warned us about that thousands of years ago. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says, I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. For I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. Let me translate that for just a moment. Paul says, look, let me, let me keep talking to you about this because I'm kind of the one that was there when you and Jesus got together. So I have a vested interest in you guys. Like I, I want to make sure you guys stay together. I want to make sure that this relationship works out. I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one, who, one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these, sup, these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. See, 
man's heart has not changed. So Paul has to attack these people. Paul, an apostle of Christ, there's others going around going, say, well, we're basically super apostles. We're like apostles up, turned up to 11. And so we have better knowledge than Paul. Paul's a good start, but we're gonna, we're gonna add to what he's got because he hasn't heard what we've heard. And Peter, he's a good apostle, but we're super apostles. That happens today. It's the same. I was reading some blog post the other day that was by the doctor apostle so-and-so. I was like, what? What kind of a weirdo doctor apostle? Like, could you be any more pretentious with your name? Obviously, you're trying to wow somebody with all of your titles, and I'm not wowed. And consequently, I can't even hear what you're about to say because that part lost me already. Paul says, these super apostles, they're going to come in. They're going to say, hey, here's a different Jesus. Here's a different gospel. Here's a different doctrine. And he's afraid that the people are going to hear it and go, oh, it's so good. Because most likely it's going to come in the form of something that sounds and feels good. It's not going to sound like, hey, you have hatred in your heart. You need to repent of that. It's going to be like, hey, it's okay. You can hate some people because they don't agree with you. Or, or you know, you can hate those people over there because they're different than you somehow. Or you can hate them because they hate you. That's okay. It's fine. And, and why do we know? Well, we're super apostles. We got secret knowledge. Paul says, man, I was there when you got together. You heard the message. The message hasn't changed. Don't let somebody come in and change the message. Now, Paul says that generally to the church, but in 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy is what we call a pastoral epistle. And it's a letter written from a mentor to his mentee. It's Paul writing to Timothy encouraging him, guiding him, building him up to be a pastor of people. And so this is a more intimate letter that he's written. It's a letter to a specific person rather than a church in general. In chapter one, verse three, he says, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. There's a lot of power found behind this pulpit. And... I, I do my best to handle it the best I can. Um, but I come in knowing that every day I'm going to be sitting here talking to a group of people and they're going to be listening to me. And, and if I say something wrong, I could lead people off of a cliff spiritually and I don't want to do that. Those menta- that mentality keeps me humble. That and also knowing that God's bigger than the words I'm going to say and he'll correct me and fix me and he'll do all, he's just Jesus and he'll use his Holy Spirit to change things if, if I start going the wrong direction. But Paul tells Timothy, look, there's certain people in your church, they get together, they start talking about genealogies and myths, and they start talking about these vain things that don't mean anything. They start looking for Bible code. They start looking at, you know, this weird random person that has no real uh, backstory in the Bible, and they start making a whole ministry out of their life. We start proceed and finish with the word of God. If the word of God is silent on something, then we're silent on it. We do our best to follow the word. If something is explained explicitly, then we do our best to follow that explicit command or that explicit uh, direction. 
And we proceed through that and we do our best to, to hit that mark every time so that we aren't found in sin. Sin being missing the mark. Paul tells Timothy, look, don't, don't get caught up in that. It's really easy. You can make a lot of money that way. Just write a blog, write a book, make a CD, start selling five bucks a pop. You make a ton of cash because there's lots of people out there who like those new things that kind of itch their ears. And that's not our job to itch their ears. Our job is to tell them the truth of Jesus. Hebrews 13 and 7 says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Going back to food, because it tends to be the one thing that really gets, really gets under the skin of a lot of people. It's one of the quickest, easiest things to start pointing out what somebody eats and then start kind of judging them based on that. And Paul writes in the, in the epistles that he wrote, even if, a, even if meat was sacrificed to a demon god, you can still eat it as long as your conscience will allow it. Oh, if you've got a friend whose conscience is, is, won't allow it, then maybe you don't eat that in their presence. You don't want to cause them to stumble. But... Men like Paul would go to a marketplace where he would buy meat that was probably that day, earlier that day or day previous, sacrificed to some pagan demon god. And Paul says, it's just meat. Those aren't really gods. You can eat that. It's, it's really okay. If your conscience doesn't allow you, then, then by all means abstain. But if you, your conscience is like, yeah, have that steak, then have that steak. Have that pork chop. Have the shellfish. Don't freak out. The writer of Hebrews says, it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods. You don't get closer to Jesus by the food you eat. You don't get closer to Jesus by abstaining from certain foods and eating others. If you choose to, great, and we love you. There's no condemnation there. But to turn it into a doctrine of theology is where you're going to find yourself in error. The writer of Hebrews says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. There's something about godly leaders that's consistent. It's, 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 it happens continuously. It's the same yesterday and today and forever because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the new command is really the old command just given again. Love your neighbor as you love yourself I am the Lord. The good news, 1 John 2, 8 and 11 says, or 2, 8, 2, 11 says, at the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Here's the good news today, church. We have hatred, but we have Jesus. And today that hatred can be gone because the darkness, the hatred that comes from darkness is passing away. Jesus has already won the war and is winning the war against darkness. The light is getting brighter and the darkness is diminishing. As a result, we can overcome hatred towards others. Hatred that we might harbor in our heart towards other people. The Bible says that Jesus is the true light. The Bible says that he is the light of men. 
And as we, as us Gentiles, non-Jews, he's the light that has awakened us from darkness. A great light has shone upon us, that is Jesus. And so today we can be saved. The hatred can be overcome because Jesus has overcome it. If you heard today, I gotta try harder not to hate. That's not the message. The message is I need to repent of this hatred to Jesus so that by his grace, I might be changed, that my heart might be changed from the inside out so that I may overcome through him. And today that can be done. That is a reality because Jesus is your reality. You can overcome this. Are there still things that we're going to hate? Things, circumstances, sure. You come out, you got a flat tire. I hate flat tires, that's okay. Hate that, that circumstance is the worst, I agree. You know, you go outside and, 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 and this is for you guys, not for me, but there's three feet of snow outside. Like, oh, I got a shovel. Uh, I, I can see how you could be like, I hate that. But we're talking about people. If you hate your brother, now this is, this is everybody. This is your Christian brother or sister. This is people within the world. This is love your neighbor as you love yourself because God is God. No one will ever be won by your hatred. If they are, you will make them twice the son of hell that you might be. That's the verbiage that Jesus used. So our business is getting ready to love people at the expense of ourselves because we know that Jesus will be there to comfort us when we do. When we do find hatred, uh, it's, it's like pulling up weeds in your garden. You gotta get all the way down to the root or that thing's coming back later. We've gotta, we've gotta admit that hatred feels good, right? We gotta admit that hatred has like a satisfying aspect to it, at least initially. Not long-term, if you're bitter and if you've, if you've gone through a grudge for like decades, you understand how maybe it started off as like, yeah, I'm not gonna let them get the best of me, but now you're like, oh, I don't even remember why I hate that person. I just know I do. These are things we gotta start pulling out of our heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today, you, you have to examine you. I'm not, it's not my job to come in and, and, and to, to check through your list of stuff. And I mean, I counsel you and love you and that sort of thing, but I don't know all of you intimately enough to be able to say, you know what? This is where you have hatred, but you do. Be real with yourself. Be, admit these things to you. If you do not admit them, you will never try to have them reconciled through Christ. You'll just keep harboring them and harboring them and harboring them. My, um, I have a sister, she's, she's mentally disabled. She was born with a seizure disorder. And when she was about, I'd say about nine years old, we were, we were driving her back from a, a doctor's visit. This was out in California. So we we're on the, the 101, just driving. And she was sitting in the back and I'm driving and she reached up to grab my shoulder because that's something she would do. I just caught a glimpse of her hand. She had a splinter in her finger that we didn't know that she'd had. Doctor missed it. And it was like, it was like the, almost the whole tip of her finger, it was infected. What we didn't know at the time is that somewhere along the line, who knows for how long, maybe a couple of weeks, she got a sliver. It got in there and it started off, it was probably painful at the moment, but she was a tough girl and, and, and she probably just shook it off and didn't even think twice about it. She's nonverbal, couldn't tell us about it. So we didn't know, didn't know to look for a splinter. So time went on and what happened was the body began to build up antibodies and try to fight 
whatever was on this splinter and it got infected over time. I use that as a metaphor of what happens when hatred is harbored in our hearts. At first it, it, it hurts and we feel justified in our hatred in return, but it sticks in our heart like that sliver, like that splinter. And slowly over time, an infection begins to grow. And as John said, we're in the darkness now and we're blind. So now we think all these things about life and, all, and it's all starting from that place of hatred. So everything we see is skewed by that because we're blind. You ever been blind? It's not fun. I've never been blind. I, I, I've had my vision almost go once. It was the worst. I don't want to be blind. I want to I see things by the light of Jesus. I want to see them as he sees them. And if he, there are people that he was willing to die for, then I have to say, you know what? They're worthy to be loved even if they're reviling against me, even if they're hating me, they're my enemy, I still have to love them. I still have got to find a way to show them the love of Christ. I don't need to engage in Facebook battles with them. I don't need to find ways to be clever and one-up them. I just need to pray for them. Show them Jesus. Let Jesus get a hold of them. You know what I find that Jesus is really good at, way better than me at? Convicting someone of their sin. Oh, if you find your brother in sin, it's a good thing to share with them that, hey, you're in sin, buddy, you need to stop. But what I find is even if I do that, it still takes the Holy Spirit showing them how bad that is. I've actually had people come and tell me things that I've told them were wrong, then come back later and say, you know what I found that was wrong? This, this, and this. And I'm thinking to myself, I told you that six months ago, but you can't say that because then, then the hatred, right? And so I have to just let it go. Oh, good for you. That's awesome. That's good. For, gra- glad God grants you that revelation just now. That's awesome. Good for you. The Holy Spirit is really good at convicting. Our job is to love. And we can lovingly say, you know, if you keep going down this path, you might end up in hell. I love you and I want to help you, and I want you to see that truth, and I don't want that for you. I'm not telling you to go there, but what I'm saying is um, I'm still telling you the truth in love. Church, we got to start with ourselves, though. What do we hate? Who do we hate? Admit it. Just, just, just admit that to yourself. Husbands, admit it to your spouse. Spouse, admit it to your, 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 your husband, or, or wife, I should say. Wife, admit it to your husband. Talk to your kids. Let them talk to you. Get that all out and repent. Lord, I am sorry for hating. I am sorry that I have allowed Satan a crack in the door of my heart in which to wiggle through. I repent, Lord. So let's stand and pray together. Let's let's hear newly this old command that has always been, it's always the truth, it's always been the command of God's people, whether it was Old Testament, New Testament, it's our command to follow. It's a big one. It's a hard one, but we can do it through Jesus. Father, we praise you today. Today is, is a good day to follow you, a day to repent of our sins, to repent of our hatred, Lord. And Father, unfortunately, as a church in general, we've become more identified by what we hate than who we love. And so, Father, help us to be seen in the world not as people who are putting up a front, Lord, but as people who genuinely love you, and as a result, genuinely love people. 
Father, there are people that are very unlovable. They make it their job to be unlovable. They do and say and act in such a way that we don't even want to be around them, but your word tells us to not have hatred towards them. And that is where we want to start, Lord. Help us to see the world as you see the world. Now, Lord, truly, there are things that you hate. There are things that you despise. But your word says that you died so that as many as possible could be saved. Father, for those that you have saved, that will be saved, Lord, help us to preach the gospel. To quote Charles Spurgeon, may they have to climb over our bodies to get to hell. May they see the true light in the midst of the darkness that they are in. For us, Lord, if we've allowed darkness in, Lord, may your light push it out, extinguish it. Today, may we give our life to you all over again. We confess that Jesus is the Son of God. We confess that he died for our sins, that we are forgiven because of his sacrifice, and we rejoice because of it, Lord. As we take food as we eat together, Lord. Bless this food to our bodies. It's a really good day. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, I love you.